Hey there, I'm Gilad Barash, and welcome to Who's Your Data, the podcast that deals with how data influences life and how life influences data, the human side of data analytics. Welcome to the special episode of Who's Your Data. One of our mission statements here at Who's Your Data World Headquarters is to promote more diversity and inclusion in tech, and it's crucial to invest in the data storytellers of the future and make sure that all perspectives and backgrounds are represented. With that in mind, today I talked to Geraldine Rodriguez, co-founder and CEO of The Knowledge House, an organization created with the purpose of closing the gaps in the education to employment pipeline by leading digital skills training in coding and design for underserved young people in the Bronx. The Knowledge House combines technology training, career support, and a comprehensive network of partners to help disconnected job seekers secure rewarding careers in the tech economy and become financially independent. Gerilyn and I discuss how the Knowledge House came to be, its different programs, the exciting expansion into new markets such as LA, Atlanta, and Newark, how they combat hiring bias against black female candidates, the type of help and support that they need from the tech community, and her own experience as a black innovator and social entrepreneur. As always, don't forget to like, subscribe, rate, and review. We do love those five-star ratings, so let's get to the conversation. Good morning, Gerilyn. How are you? Good morning, Galad. I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Um, very, very excited to talk to you. I've been wanting to talk to you for a long time now. We've been partnering for some time now, uh, Distillery and the Knowledge House. And I've really wanted to have you on this podcast and, and talk about your mission and uh, the wonderful stuff that you do. So thank you that we're able to make it happen. Of course. Thanks for having me. First of all, the question that I ask all of uh, my guests that I wonder is during this time of COVID over the past year, year and a half, and especially now that we're coming out of it, uh, kind of, or maybe we aren't yet. Is there anything about yourself that you learned that surprised you during this time of COVID? I think during COVID, what I learned the most about myself is like how much stamina I have. And it's interesting because when we launched our admissions process, we tried to make sure that it was rigorous enough so that we knew what applicants would persist through our job training programs. And so that's something that we look for in our students. And so obviously there's an expectation, you know, myself and the staff need to have a level of stamina and endurance, but COVID really tested the limits there. Yeah. Just understanding when there's a moment of urgency, how like responsive I can be, how flexible, creative I can be when problem solving. Of course, like there's always an end goal in mind. And mm -hmm. during COVID, honestly, it was survival, you know? So I felt, especially in the beginning of the pandemic, that everything was at stake. Yes. Um, and we didn't know, was the world going to end? It was exactly. really about survival. Exactly. So just understanding you have to do whatever it takes. I wanted to, first of all, say, you know, my exposure to the Knowledge House began a couple of years ago when Distillery was looking to start an internship program for underrepresented communities that are starting out in the industry. And our partnership has continued since then. And I'm honored to have been, I think, one of the first, if not the first uh, member of uh, the Knowledge House Tech Advisory Board. But can you explain a little bit about what the Knowledge House is uh, and what the need for it was and how it came about? My co-founder, Joe Carano, and I started the Knowledge House about seven years ago. You know, me, born and raised in the Bronx, I wanted to make sure that I can have a positive impact in my community. And Joe, 
he's a Brooklyn native. And unfortunately, you know, his story is that he got pushed out of Brooklyn when it was being gentrified. And so he moved to the Bronx. We like found each other and we kind of made it our life's work to make sure that a place like the Bronx didn't experience gentrification in Brooklyn, right? And so Joe is a self-taught programmer. And when I met him, I was so inspired by how just by teaching himself code, he went from a minimum wage to almost six uh, figure salary. At the time, you know, I saw that tech was trending, the tech market was growing, and the government started making financial investments in STEM, but I didn't see that it was reaching the borough of the Bronx. Mm-hmm. Right? So for example, in K in K through 12, you saw that the government was investing in computer science for all, right? Training teachers to teach computer science and make sure that students have access to like STEM pathways. And even for adults, you saw um, the small business services out of the mayor's office, they launched something called the Tech Talent Pipeline. And so they were investing in technical job training for adults, but it wasn't reaching Bronx residents. Computer Science for All wasn't teaching, uh, wasn't reaching Bronx teachers and Bronx schools. And so seven years ago, my co-founder and I thought, we wanna make sure that the Bronx is not left out of the innovation economy. And so to avoid things like, you know, the negative impacts of gentrification, to empower Bronx residents to seek employment and actually have, you know, family sustainable lives, we need to make sure that they have access to tech opportunities, right? At this point, even poor kids in the Bronx are digital natives. And so if young people are using technology every single day, whether they're on social media, playing video games, et cetera, why not turn them into like producers of technology, right? Like it's not enough to have people just consume technology. You empower people when they start producing it. And so that's, that's how we got inspired to start the Knowledge House. Um, we wanted to make sure that the Bronx as one of the, the poorest congressional districts um, in the country was not left out and that we can replicate Joe's story, right? Teaching poor young kids how to code and then they can uplift themselves and their families out of poverty. I think I read a quote that you had said something about how this helps create, to start to create generational wealth for underrepresented communities. And I thought that was a really great approach to it, you know, to get into equity, into these higher paying jobs. Your Innovation Fellowship is the main job training program. Can you talk a little bit about um, what that is and the different tracks that you offer? Yes, at the Knowledge House, we have a high school level program called the Kareem Carbouche Coding Fellowship. And then for adults looking for full-time technology careers in tech, they enroll in a program called the Innovation Fellowship. The Innovation Fellowship is a one year long job training program where students can choose to specialize in a specific track. And right now we're offering a data science where they learn Python. Another track is full stack web development where they learn JavaScript. And this year we're launching a new UX UI program and cybersecurity. And so those are the four tracks that we offer our job trainees. Um, The program starts in September. And for nine months, 
students are taking evening job training classes Monday through Wednesday they get their technical instruction every Thursday they get their career development instruction and then on the weekends they're engaging with volunteers whether it's through tutoring mentorship or hackathons right um and so they go through this rigorous experience for nine months. And then for the last three months of the program, they participate in a paid summer internship. A lot of them get internships on their own. A lot of them intern with employer partners, right? Like for example, distillery. After that one year experience, we think students can learn the foundational skills they can work on projects in teams, they can build their portfolio, and they can network with, you know, professionals in the industry to get them ready for a full-time engineer role um, after the 12 months. And so traditionally, three out of four of our graduates get their first job in tech after the Knowledge House. We're really excited that we have um, our current 2020 Innovation Fellows are in their internships right now. Some of them have gotten into uh, Google fellowship programs where it's like paid on the job training that would lead to a full-time job at Google. Some folks have uh, gained internships at big companies like Citibank or Red Hat, which is um, an IBM company. Some of them are at startups like Dynamic Yield um, or Murmuration. And so we're really excited that in addition to empowering our job trainees, we are providing a service to the sector, right? Especially after the murder of George Floyd, a lot of these companies had made pledges to invest in racial equity and diversify their workforce. And we are seeing that we're just adding value on the job seeker side and the employer side. You know, you mentioned at the beginning how tech funding that was coming from the government was not reaching the Bronx. But the other side of it is also that within the tech workforce, I think that Black and Latino populations are maybe around like five or 6% of the tech workforce uh, today or in the last census. Is there a barrier also into getting into these companies? Or is this also a, a, uh, an issue that you're trying to address in terms of the lack of diversity that historically has been in the tech sector? Absolutely, right? I mean, there are so many gaps to fill within the tech sector. The Knowledge House students are 90 to 95% Black and Latinx, you know? So when companies pledge to diversify their talent, they should be looking to partner with nonprofits like the Knowledge House. We're trying our best, you know, as a charity to disrupt the private sector and challenge companies to, you know, not follow traditional hiring practices, which usually include hiring bias, right? Mm -hmm. Or for example, they only vet candidates that have a college degree. And we just know that the college degree is not absolutely necessary to be successful in tech. While most of our students are black and brown, we have a small percentage that are Asian and you know white people coming from low-income communities. Mm -hmm. And so this year was very interesting because we were serving our highest performing cohort of job trainees. And as I mentioned before, a lot of those in internships got jobs on their own. Most of them you know, uh, partnered with an internship employer 
Um, and when you step back and you see um, how folks secured their employment, you notice that students that went out and did their own job search and landed internships, um, the students that secured those were our like white and Asian students. And when the Knowledge House intervened, right? So we actually secured the internship partner. We worked with them to select the talent. Our internship partners ended up hiring our black students, mostly our black female students. And so it's clear that even after the murder of George Floyd, when all of these companies made these pledges, there's still so much work to be done. There's just an inherent hiring bias that we have to overcome. We have seen when a company works hand in hand with the Knowledge House, they get to reduce that hiring bias and actually you know, get in diverse talent. So it's something that we see ourselves solving a little bit at a time, it's gonna take systemic change, right? Either a government intervention or like a bunch of companies coming together to like challenge the status quo so that we accelerate progress. Um, companies for too long have been promising that they're gonna be more diverse. Yes. But it's just slow progress, you know? I still have hope though. Something that, that we use to eliminate hiring bias was our resume book. You know, so we basically give our resume book to our internship partners. They get to see the resumes of our students, but the resumes are anonymous, right? They don't mm -hmm. get to see the students' faces or names or their LinkedIn profiles. And so it was our first time using that tool this year. And so it's something that if we keep using over and over again, we can kind of see, okay. Did yeah. you find, did you find that that was yeah, that's what I'm saying. So when internship partners use the resume book, they ended up hiring more Black and Brown students, especially our female students. When our students did their own job search, the Asian and white kids ended up getting right. picked up. Yeah, there's definitely still a lot of work that needs to be done in that. And that was actually, you, you answered a question that I was thinking about in terms of after the murder of George Floyd, a lot of companies, especially in the tech sector, made a lot of solidarity statements and promised to diversify their workforce. But it was hard to tell how much of that was, you know, virtue signaling or performative and how, how much of that was really truly a commitment to try to make uh, a change. Did you notice that after the George Floyd murder, was there any kind of increased engagement with the Knowledge House? No, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we saw a drastic change. Um, like we got a surge of volunteer interest. We doubled our amount of individual giving. We gained like 10 corporate sponsorships last year as companies wanted to, you know, make sure that job trainees were successful in virtual learning. So they donated technology, for example. We were collecting donations to match our students to cash assistance, right? Because ever since COVID, most of them are furloughed or unemployed. And so they need a little bit of help to make it through their living expenses. What I will say is that while we were able to recruit more volunteers and while we were able to get some donations and grants, the improvement really is in the hiring. For example, we found that startups were a better fit to customize internship or apprenticeship programs with them. You know, like they were flexible enough to 
you know, change their hiring model so that they can take in entry-level talent. When you look at the Fortune 100 companies that have been around forever, their systems are so hard to disrupt. It's going to take these bigger companies a longer time to actually, you know, achieve the change that they want. For example, these Fortune 100 companies are still offering internships to students who are enrolled in college. That's leaving out a bunch of Knowledge House participants, for example. Sure. You know, these big companies are the ones that have to take the lead and, you know, disrupting hiring so that startups can follow, right? Right. But it's happening the other way around. Yeah. And also they may offer their internships a lot of times are unpaid, which also excludes a whole population that can't afford to do unpaid internships. Exactly. Even though folks are being more generous with their time and with their dollars, everything starts with diversifying your workforce. Right. You know what I mean? So like, let's start there. It's a best practice for workforce development agencies. Like when you um, work with the private sector through employer engagement, it usually starts with volunteering, right? All of these companies through their corporate social responsibility or community impact teams want their employees to give back. But that is not enough sometimes. We need the companies to hire because when you hire these folks from low-income communities, that's when you actually start impacting their lives. That's actually when we start reducing poverty and making the tech sector more equitable and inclusive. So that's what I'm looking for, like moving forward, you know? There's also a risk that all of these companies 18 months later say, okay, what's the next cool topic to like pay attention to? (laughs) You know, last year it was like, all right, Black Lives Matter. So we need to invest in Black leaders and Black businesses. If the attention to support that initiative dwindles, then it's not sustainable again. Right. That's a good point. You have to monitor it and call people out and just work collaboratively to create systems change. Yeah, I think you you make an excellent point about how with the bigger corporations, the change is much harder. There are a couple of things that I try to talk about in our partnership with the Knowledge House. First of all, like you said, being able to make that change and and doing the hiring is something that is very intentional. You uh, in the company have to commit to it and say, I'm willing to make these changes First and foremost, it starts with hiring and having a diverse set of opinions and perspectives in your workforce makes is not only the right thing to do, but it makes business sense. It's important to be able to have different eyes on the problem that you're trying to solve. Certainly in, in you know, in distilleries industry, in the digital advertising industry, We've seen many examples of creative ads that companies have put out that have missed the mark just because probably they didn't have enough diverse eyes on the product before they shipped it out to say, hey, this might not say what you think it's going to say. And it's definitely true in technology. It's true in the accessibility and the the, uh, inclusivity of a software product that you're putting out. So we try to diversify the workforce and say intentionally, okay, Um, For these tech roles, uh, we want to prioritize people who are of a diverse background. And it was hard to find. It was hard. um, And I say this from a personal experience. It was hard to, especially when you're looking deep in in the tech pipeline, where you want experienced people, it was hard to find. I didn't know where to look. 
you know, it's not enough to just open up a, a job posting on LinkedIn and say, well, you know, we'll see who, who, you know, it's open to everybody. So it's, it's right. equitable. No, it's not because you are going to, and, and from experience, I say people of color are not applying for these jobs on LinkedIn. So you have to be intentional in reaching the diverse people where they are looking and where they're, where they're job searching. And then the question is, where are those places? When we were doing the search, I, I kept thinking, I wish somewhere there was just a spreadsheet of <laughs> resources, of websites, right. of right. where can I, you know, where can we post our jobs? Who can we talk to? It's like, I know that's like not reasonable. I know that's, you know, it's not like there's a, a master spreadsheet somewhere. But then when I started attending webinars of companies who specialize in diverse hiring, then they actually did share those spreadsheets. It's like, here's a list of, you know, companies that you can work yeah. with. What we found is that, you know, there's a scarcity of, of diverse talent deep in the tech pipeline. Mm -hmm. And so the next conclusion from that, we felt at Distillery was that it behooves us to help usher in the talent into the tech pipeline. So if you can't find them deep inside, let's work on getting them in there. And that's when we worked with the Knowledge House. We created a, a, an internship program that we uh, worked with the Knowledge House to fill. And of course, that's led to full-time employment. Absolutely. Um, you know, as I mentioned, successful hiring has happened when we have words hand in hand with the company, you know, and like like you described, you created an internship program. Um, and so in creating that, like we were able to respond to your needs and get you the right person, right? And that opportunity had a lot of promise, right? You all had committed to uh, providing the intern full-time employment if the internship was successful. And right. so we worked together to make sure there was a feedback loop um and you know like just learn about your experience working with us and we're very grateful to still be working with you that internship model is something that now we are trying to standardize we're seeing more and more companies do that but that model needs to scale you know um i think when we talk about the bigger companies again i have seen them turn to hbcus as a next step to like diversify their talent, right? So first they, they start off with the Ivy Leagues and then Stanford and, and MIT. And so their next step, right, is okay, HBCUs. After HBCUs, the next step is like community college, right? But you can see it's like a domino effect and those job seekers that are not in college will be last. Right, so right? the Bronx is still getting left out. Exactly, exactly. So like you said, that's why these custom relationships that are mutually beneficial are effective um, because then you can make sure that in the design it's inclusive of everyone you know when when distillery works with the knowledge house you're gonna access a whole bunch of talent because for us it's just about are you low income are you black and brown do you live in a place like the Bronx and that does include 
students who are enrolled in college, but they need more career guidance. Most of the students actually started in college, but then dropped out, right? So like you have someone that had aspirations to make it through college, but college just didn't set them up for success. And then you have these like math geniuses that just knew college was not for them. And so they're going to jump straight into tech, right? And like, they're going to wow any employer. You get all of that hidden genius at the knowledge house. So that's why it's so important for companies to work with community organizations. If community organizations are already working internally to make their solutions inclusive, then that's going to benefit like the companies, right? And you've mentioned corporate partnerships a few times. Can you expand on how the corporate partners help with your mission? What can corporate partners do to help you? Yeah, absolutely. So we usually partner with companies in three ways. As I mentioned before, it always or usually always starts with volunteering. Um, So we last year recruited 100 volunteers Uh, that provide over like 700 hours of service. And we engage with volunteers through tutoring, uh, mentorship. A lot of volunteers do interview prep with our students, review their code and uh, resumes. Um, What is really valuable is when volunteers give us curricular feedback, you know, because then those volunteers get to know our curricula, they get to know the skills that our students have, and then they become more comfortable with referring us to their employers, right? Like they know what their employers are looking for, what hiring needs they have, and they know that the Knowledge House can backwards engineer to like align our content to those hiring needs. Mm -hmm. Um, So volunteering is so valuable. The second way we work with companies um, is through philanthropy, whether it's a big corporation like Goldman Sachs or Bloomberg, like they have their own foundations, right? So they can invest in the knowledge house and that money goes directly towards program expenses or it funds like technology for the students or matches them to cash assistance so that they can persist through the program. That support just going to the organization is so crucial just for our sustainability. And then third is hiring, whether companies employ our students through internships or they hire our grads as full-time technologists, that is the most impactful way to partner with us. Our applicants come in making $14,000 a year. When they get that first job in tech, they can make up to seventy-six. And so those are the three ways that we partner with corporations. Ideally, a company does all three things, you know, you volunteer so that you directly impact a student's life. You can donate and it can be, you know, in-kind technology, it can be dollars. And then finally, be serious about your diversity pledges and hire that entry-level talent and make room for them at your organization and make sure you retain them, right? Because then you are actually impacting communities. Amen. Gerilyn, you recently announced, I think it's recently, that you're expanding your services to other major US cities such as Atlanta and Los Angeles. Um, What type of support from partners are you looking for in those locations? Yeah, so this year, uh, after a successful pandemic year, 
you know, we're being responsive to the increased demand for like digital skills education. Right now, 20% of all open jobs in New York are technology jobs. Uh, more than 50% of all jobs beyond tech jobs require strong digital skills. And so we're seeing this uh, increased demand across the country. And so we are expanding this year to Atlanta, Los Angeles, and Newark. We, we chose those expansion sites because of their proximities to tech hubs or emerging tech hubs. Um, they're very diverse, right? So they have at least 40% black and brown um, job seekers. And we wanted to go to cities where we can add value versus be repetitive, you know, like for LA, uh, for LA, we know that there aren't enough tech training programs mm -hmm. in Los Angeles. We know that you find a lot in the Bay Area, right? That should not be the case. Right. So we are doing a lot of outreach on the ground to secure anchor partners, whether it's a corporation or a community nonprofit that can host us starting January. So this year, the, the programs are virtual or hybrid, but we're getting ready to have a physical footprint next year. Um, so we're looking for partners that can give us free or discounted office and classroom space. Um, and you know, we're looking for the partnerships to be mutually beneficial. If it's a corporation, you know, send us all of your volunteers, right? We now need volunteers that are local, right. LA, Atlanta, and Newark, right? Um, we can provide the job training, you all can provide the volunteer support. Um, if it's a community-based organization, if that agency is not providing any type of technology education, maybe they can provide wraparound services like you know, food access, mental health and wellness workshops, et cetera. So we're looking for partners that can support the organization expanding nationally, but can really support those students on the ground. Um, and, you know, corporations, a lot of them are global, right? So mm -hmm. our partners here in New York have offices in Atlanta, Newark, right. and Los Angeles, right? So the same way that we partner with corporations in New York is the same way in any other regions. If y'all have mentors, if y'all want to provide curricular feedback, right? Because every tech market is different depending on the city. Um, in, in LA, there's more digital media jobs, right, than like software engineering jobs. And so if we have uh, corporate professionals on the ground that can advise us on the tech trends and the market trends, that's helpful. Um, we are looking for funders to sustain our growth. Um, we are about to launch our annual fundraiser, the fellowship campaign that you know, allows us to mobilize resources, whether it's volunteers, dollars, um, to support our incoming class of fellows. Uh, and so we are looking for investment and we're looking for our next set of champions to support our growth. And then finally, we're looking for employer partners. We are lucky that the pandemic has caused remote work to like, you know, just stay, right? So our students actually are mostly in remote jobs and you know their managers sometimes aren't in new york city so the pandemic has actually opened the doors yeah. for more employment opportunities so we need to especially find local employment opportunities in these new expansion sites and so there are so many ways that companies can help us if folks want to get involved 
Um, we have an amazing business partnerships manager, Derek Stroman. Um, he can shout out to know, Derek. Yeah, we we love Derek. I know that you work really close. Love with Derek. Uh, he can walk you through low touch, high touch engagements that are a good fit for any volunteer coming from any company. Um, and so if you reach us on our website, you'll find a get involved page and you can go there and you'll see a list of volunteer opportunities. You'll see um, e uh, Derek's email address. And if you need more guidance, just email info at theknowledgehouse.org and we'll you know, get you plugged in for sure. Wonderful. Yes, theknowledgehouse.org. You can find all the information there. So, Gerilyn, lastly, I wanted to kind of take a little bit of a personal turn and ask you um, about your background and your experience as a Black innovator and social entrepreneur and what your experience has been uh, breaking into and moving in that space. My story starts with my mom. My mom is a retired teacher and growing up, she just instilled education as like one of our core values. My sister became an educator as well, studied education. My aunt is an educator. So I just come from a family of educators. And, you know, I was very fortunate that college worked for me, uh, but it did not work for a lot of my peers and a lot of my family members in the Bronx. Once I got my first job, uh, which actually was in education, I was working in the ed, in, in the ed policy and advocacy space, there was a lot of movement, like college access was, you know, a leading topic. And I was getting frustrated that the sector kept pushing poor kids to pursue college as a way out of poverty and like pushing that as the only option. Because as I mentioned, it didn't work for a lot of my peers growing up, right? And so I became very focused on alternative pathways, you know, while I was working in education. And after six years of doing, you know, teaching parent and student organizing, advocating for school reform, I just realized I don't believe in this college or bust myth. College might be the pathway to get the best high paying job in some cases, but it's not the only answer. And I thought it was irresponsible for us to not provide a plan B, a plan C mm. for poor kids, especially, right? Mm -hmm. And then I started learning about the tech sector when I met my co-founder and I saw how he himself taught himself code and changed his whole life trajectory. And I said, we need to replicate this for all of my you know, little cousins and friends in the Bronx. And then I thought there are tech education solutions out there, but they're not led by Black people. When I was analyzing the market, I saw that they were for-profit boot camps, right? But they were so expensive. They were full-time. So it's like someone who's underemployed going from job to job with a crazy work schedule is not going to be able to persist in a three-month program that's, you know, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. That, that doesn't make sense. And then we started getting a lot of graduates from these other programs that I would call my peer organizations come to the Knowledge House. And then we were filling a gap. You know, college was not working for kids so they could come to the Knowledge House. Sometimes these for-profit boot camps weren't enough for poor kids. 
and they were not affordable so they could come to the knowledge house and so I you know took pride in that like when my co-founder and I designed the knowledge house we we had like fubu in our um, heads right like for us by us mm -hmm. and that's the feedback that's the positive feedback that we have heard from most of our students like I feel welcomed here I feel like I can be myself here I feel like I can you know have a successful classroom experience and I'm not going to be judged because I don't have a suit and tie on and so I take pride in that at least in New York City the Knowledge House is the only tech training nonprofit that's led by a black woman and when we think of the most marginalized groups right which are black people and females when you combine mm -hmm. those two, I'm trying to build a solution so that a Black female can become an aspiring technologist. Because if the solution works for her, it's going to work for all these other people. And so that's the feedback we've been getting. And those are the, those are the outcomes that we're seeing, right? Like I shared, we used the resume uh, book this year. We saw how it reduced hiring bias. And we saw how, as a solution, it did empower Black females to go into STEM. That's what fulfills me in terms of being a Black social entrepreneur. And it's worth all of the craziness <laughs> um, because, you know, the other part is as a Black female, I'm usually the only Black person in the room. Right. I'm in the small group of females in the room. And that can be discouraging, right? The first three years of the Knowledge House, no one wanted to give us funding. We actually had to sell our curricula and provide custom programs to schools and nonprofits in the Bronx, and they would pay us. And like we had raised about 150K in earned revenue from this client work the first two years. And then I had to go to all of my funders that said no to us in those first two years. And they didn't give us like substantial funding until year three. So I felt like, damn, I'm three years behind when, you know, I've been trying to solve this problem since day one. Mm -hmm. And then seeing other startups led by white men actually get investment when they weren't even teaching kids, like they weren't even serving schools right. in the community. It's good and bad. I think as a black entrepreneur, you have to be strong, you know, like you have to persist, right? Like you started asking me about what I learned during COVID stamina because anyone can give up you know um i've had funders tell me you're not relevant <laughs> because uh. their organization is doing the same thing and i had to go back three years later and say some of our students came from that organization and that organization didn't work for them mm -hmm. and here's what they're saying about the knowledge house and what they're saying is as a black person that built this for my community i fit in i can be successful here and so, you know, good and bad, but I truly believe that when Black females especially get more investment, right? Because out of all of the demographics of entrepreneurs, Black females get the least investment for profit and nonprofit space, right? At the same time, Black females uh, are the folks that are uh, creating startups at a faster rate than everyone else. So it's like, we have an appetite to solve problems, but we don't have the community or not community. We don't have the philanthropic uh, or VC backing, right? To actually mm -hmm. be successful. So that has to change, right? Once that changes, I can impact so many more lives. 
and just feel so much more fulfilled. It's a journey. <laughs> and so given all of that and with us coming out of COVID, well, I keep saying that and like, we're not. I, I don't know, know why. Like going back in. <laughs> yeah, like, but are we coming out of COVID? We don't know. But given where we are today and we're in the middle of 2021, um, and uh, as you mentioned, your new cohort of fellowships is starting. What are you excited for in the, in the year that's coming up? I'm excited about growth. You know, for the first time this summer, we have students coming from New York, Atlanta, Newark, and Los Angeles. It's exciting to understand that we can serve more people in need and that we can increase our impact and that we get to, you know, learn about new communities in the process. You know, I aspire to build the Knowledge House to be a national organization that is successful across so many cities. Um, and so like we're beginning to do that, right? And so it excites our students. Like our students are like, what, you're expanding? I'm gonna tell my friends in Atlanta, you know? My staff, uh, they are excited about, well, the country starting to reopen and possibly mm -hmm. traveling. Yeah, um, maybe, yeah. Yeah, and so, the growth is exciting, um, like just planning five years ahead, right? Like I get to uh, implement or execute the vision that yeah. I have day one. Yeah. And now we're starting to get enough funding and now we're starting to build a track record. And so things are falling into place. So it feels good. We are excited to engage new folks, find our next set of champions, I want to thank you, Galad, and Distillery for being so supportive of our work. Oh, stop. stop. <laughs> and it was such a pleasure speaking to you about all of these topics today. You know, I think it's a really important conversation, especially after what we've seen um, in the past year. Um, and like, we just have to continue everyone coming together. I mean, we yes. saw a lot of division in the past year, but we also saw people come together. You yes. know what I mean? And so that's what I want to see more of. Gerilyn. Thank you so, so much for this conversation. It was, it was fascinating and uh, look forward to continuing our uh, partnership. Same here. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thanks for joining us today and listening to this episode. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. And if you have any questions you'd like addressed, send them to who'syourdatanow at gmail.com. That's who'syourdatanow, all one word, at gmail.com. Thanks and see you next time on Who's Your Data? Thank you.